Hello and welcome to Cannabis Grand Rounds, a production by physicians with advanced degrees in cannabis medicine. Your hosts, Dr. Lee Van Oker, Dr. Les Matthews, and Dr. Hal Altman, will offer unbiased medical cannabis education for healthcare providers and the motivated public. Our content is selected with the objective to fully explore cannabis as science and medicine and pledges to reflect current cannabis knowledge with no hidden agenda nor sponsorships. Hi, and welcome back to Cannabis Grand Rounds. I have my friend and colleague with me, Dr. Les Matthews. I'm Dr. Lee Van Oker. And uh, Les, I want to talk a little bit about, we've been talking about negative effects of cannabis, which is important to do because people have to know the risk-benefit ratio, like with any other medication. So let's talk a little bit about addiction and cannabis use disorder. Now, you know, there's always that question about gateway. Is cannabis the gateway drug? Um to other types of addictions. And I think, you know, even NIDA eventually uh, said that, no, it's probably not a gateway drug. But there is a segment of the population that might have something called cannabis use disorder. So what is that and how do you recognize it? Well, it's a good question. Cannabis use disorder is fairly rare. And I think most uh, experts would put the incidence of the development of cannabis use disorder amongst those who use cannabis regularly over a long period of time, many years, at less than 10%. You know, maybe on 9% of chronic users uh, are at risk for developing what is called cannabis use disorder. And, you know, I, I would suggest to our listeners that it's not uh, too much different than alcoholism, really. And a lot of the same... Uh, self-destructive kind of behavioral things that go along with alcoholism are very much in play with cannabis use disorder. So it's things like using it at inappropriate times, lying to be able to get access or use it, uh, you know, when otherwise it might not be possible, drug-seeking behavior, having a negative impact on your work and home life. You know, all of these factors come into play with cannabis use disorder, just like they do for alcoholism. And it's a, it's a small segment of the chronic cannabis using population that is at risk to developing this, but it's still a significant, you know, portion of the population as well. Yeah, and unfortunately, all substance use disorder is a very complicated, lifelong, chronic brain disease um, that has to be dealt with. But I have to say, as an ER physician who's worked in the city of Detroit and Baltimore uh, for many, many years, addiction to cannabis is not uh, causing as many ruined lives and issues that we see in the ER as with other types of addiction like cocaine, meth, opioids and such. But it is something I think to consider. And there is, you know, some of the um, use disorder, I agree, they talk about perhaps in the adolescent brain when kids are using it uh, strictly, you know, as a recreational to get high when their brains are developing, that that in fact might 
put them at use. So it's not only the length of time, I think, it's when you really uh, regularly started using cannabis that you worry about it. And this is not to say that kids that have other medical issues like autism or seizures are at risk for that because, you know, as we as you guys talked about with the endocannabinoid system, this endocannabinoid deficiency that might be related to these conditions, actually these kids do much better with cannabis and we don't see that. It's the kids that are just using it for recreation, which I think is the danger of it. And it mostly is the THC, right, Les? It's not really the CBD. No, I think that's exactly right. And, and you know, we're, we're going to devote a, probably a whole podcast to the whole issue of gateway drug and, and the um, role that cannabis does or doesn't play in that consideration. But it is also fair to say that a number of the patients who are chronic cannabis users may also be users of alcohol and tobacco. So that the uh, combination of those uh, drug uses can impact a patient's behavior, their, we'll talk in a second about withdrawal and other issues. So it can be more complex than just cannabis alone. Yeah. And it's the, um, you know, addiction, the science of addiction, the general model of addiction is this kind of chronic relapsing disorder, compulsive behavior to use the substance, inability to control it as you described. Um, but one of the other things, and preoccupation with it, and it's because of that dopamine release and the pleasure reward system, but one of the other uh, caveats is that when you stop, you do see withdrawal symptoms. So what exactly are some of the withdrawal symptoms that you see with cannabis use disorder? Yeah, it's it's an interesting phenomenon and probably not that much dissimilar to uh, what we see in patients who are chronic users of tobacco and particularly cigarettes um, when they stop using suddenly. And, and it usually occurs in patients who've indeed been chronic, uh, frequent users of cannabis who then have a sudden cessation for whatever reason and usually a delayed onset, 24 to 48 hours. And then they go through many of the withdrawal symptoms uh, we see, again, in in tobacco users. Uh, Irritability, anger, sleeplessness, anxiety, maybe even tremors. It's a very real phenomenon. Again, generally not life-threatening in any way. Generally treated with uh, supportive care. And eventually, and usually relatively quickly, these withdrawal symptoms will pass. But it's certainly a, a not infrequent occurrence in people who have been chronic users and then stop for whatever reason. Yeah, and unlike uh, alcohol and benzodiazepines, which, where the withdrawal can be fatal if you quickly stop it, it is more uncomfortable, like opioids. I mean, that's the issue with opioids. It's, the, it's being uncomfortable and, uh, and having a lot of these symptoms, but they're not life-threatening symptoms like you can see with alcohol withdrawal and DTs, delirium tremens, and things like that. So it is important, but it's something that I think even as physicians who might recommend it medically, you know, we have to be aware of that and we have to be aware of the signs of it because, you know, just the way with alcohol, you know, people that are driving intoxicated, I mean, cannabis does have some of those risks. And if people can't stop 
to get into their workplace or driving with it, it's something that we have to consider. Well, I'd like to move on to another topic, which actually uh, is negative effects, uh, not so much for medical cannabis, but it is an issue um, that is out there. And it's a very interesting history on synthetic cannabinoids. Now, we know there's legal synthetic cannabinoids that have been around for years um, that have that are actually scheduled three drugs like Marinol, which is a synthetic THC. Uh, it's so ironic that the government has that, which is the same chemical compound. It's THC, but it's just made synthetically that that's a schedule three, but natural THC is schedule one, but that's a, another topic. Um, but anyway, but there's also illegal synthetic cannabinoids. And how they came about, I think the history of it is, uh, is interesting because they don't really look like cannabis. And it was in the 90s when we discovered the endocannabinoid system and its receptors that chemists started creating these analogs to test the cannabinoid receptors. So can you talk a little bit about that do you um i thought it was a fascinating history when we learned about that in school yeah no i, I agree completely and uh it it is a uh, pandora's box of issues that exist around synthetic cannabinoids that really don't quite exist with natural occurring cannabinoids and um you know these these laboratory produced synthetic cannabinoids uh as you mentioned have been produced for treatment, and you mentioned, you know, Marinol or Nabilone as a synthetic uh, approved drug for, you know, rare pediatric seizure disorders. But then there were also synthetic cannabinoids created for research. But the nefarious part of this is that there are also synthetic cannabinoids produced for profit, and they try to circumvent federal regulations around cannabis and THC and uh, disguise them you know, with sexy names that imply that they're not associated with the risks that they really are. Many of them are many-fold more potent than naturally occurring THC. As a result of all that, they have some very specific and different side effects, including risks of some fatal consequences like hypothermia uh, that are not present in naturally occurring cannabinoids. So it's a slippery slope when one gets into the recreational use of synthetic cannabinoids for reasons that focus on not only their potential enhanced potency, but again, lack of regulation regarding processing and risk of contamination with chemicals and other industrial byproducts, and a whole host of concerns, not the least of which, again, is the potential for more uh, serious side effects. Yeah, it's interesting. So there's a organic chemist, and, and I'm sure he's he's sorry about this. His name is forever associated, Dr. John Huffman. He was from Clemson. And back in the 90s, he developed one of these compounds. And, you know, they used to name them according to, you know, th- 
they discovered and created the compound. So it was JWH018. But what's interesting is in the 2000s, less when the internet came about, you know, all of these research papers were published. So uh, enter the black market chemist who now has kind of a blueprint for creating this compound. And, um, you know, JWH didn't look like cannabis, but it reacted with the receptors. It had four times the binding and intoxication at that receptor. And there were some other chemists uh, that created compounds. There's one called HU210 that was 800 times more potent than THC. You know, there was this legal loophole because, you know, they weren't part of a federal illegality act. I think the JWH. 018 first showed up in Germany um, in 2008, and it was considered, they called it a legal substitute for marijuana. You know, some people have heard the name Spice and K2. They sell them in gas stations, or they'll call them bath salts, which implies you're not supposed to ingest them. So I think, you know, that's the black market. So these are all the illicit analogs. And, you know, it's it was pretty scary. You know, you talked about the range of symptomatology that was uh, worse, you know, so it's more severe agitation, anxiety, and paranoia with overdose. And the problem was, you know, we even had some cases here in Maryland, uh, murder cases related to them with uh, mutilation. They are also self-harm and sometimes uh, permanent psychoses. Do you remember uh, in New York, there was a news report about a zombie-like state from these... Um, illicit cannabinoids yeah i mean they're they're just bad news they're bad news and they uh, as you mentioned a loophole that these nefarious folks are are you know threading the needle to uh to produce them and put them out with access to the public without any regulation on not only the sales and distribution but also the manufacturing yeah, it, like with any illicit drug, you don't know what it's tainted with. Some have been tainted with fentanyl, which we know is a very serious, um, potentially fatal drug. Even regular illegal cannabis uh, that's not synthetic can be tainted with that. And there was a case in Illinois where there was an outbreak because it had rat poison in it and people were bleeding internally from this. So... The problem is they're always one step ahead of the law, as most black market chemists are, and they just pose a huge public risk, as with any other designer drug that's out there. So I think that'll conclude our negative uh, effects series on cannabis and what people have to consider. I want to thank Dr. Les Matthews, uh, partner, friend, and colleague on this podcast for discussing this. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, everybody. All information, material, and content on this podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional and or medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment by a qualified physician or healthcare provider. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. Cannabis Grand Rounds LLC does not offer personal health or medical advice. 
If you have a medical emergency, call your doctor or call 911 immediately.